This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 693 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I am your head number one. My name is Matt Baum, and I gotta say, I'm getting a little nervous about how the U.S. defaulting on their debt would affect our personal financial holdings until I remembered. Joe, we have everything tied up in Aftershock variant covers, so we are gonna be fine, baby. Oh, Matt, you sweet summer child. I'm your head number two, the Internet's Joe Patrick. And tell me you didn't dump everything we had invested in Spawn Batman variants for Aftershock variants. Have you seriously not read any news about Aftershock lately? They went bankrupt. I mean, that that just makes them more scarce, right? It's all about scarcity, right? No. That's, oh, God, why did I put you in charge of our finances? In this episode, we are back to reviewing new comics from the last two Wednesdays. And after that, we're going to tell you, listeners, about our must-read new comic picks for next week. Finally, we'll give you a sneak peek of our Patreon THN Extra, where the Cosmic Shortbox has us catching up on Mark Miller's Magic Order and Jason Aaron's Punisher. It's all happening in this financially irresponsible episode, and it starts... With review time in the ziggurat. We are knee deep in 2023, and we've already got a pile of event books, character-defining one-shots, and more violence than any adult child should read in one sitting. Joe Patrick, let's start these reviews with six comics from last week. New comic book day, Wednesday, January 11th. Kicking things off... With Spy Superb, number one of three from Dark Horse, it's $7.99. That sounds like a lot, but it is lengthy. It was a big boy. Yeah. It's written and drawn by Matt Kent. Here's your solicit. From New York Times best-selling and Harvey Award-winning graphic novelist Matt Kent comes the latest Flux House humorous espionage adventure. That makes it sound like there's a whole line of Flux House humorous espionage adventure. I think and I don't think... All That's his stuff necessarily is, the case. All Matt Kent stuff is flux out. So, you know, I understand, but it's not all humorous. Espionage. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's John Wick meets Wes Anderson in this mystery thriller about a secret organization that's developed the perfect spy. Who is the perfect spy? A spy who doesn't even realize they're a spy, a.k.a. the useful idiot. This particular useful idiot is named Jay. Jay is sent on missions without even realizing he's on a mission until he picks up the wrong phone with the wrong secret intel. And now Russian hit squads and elite assassins are after him. But Jay believes he was a sleeper agent and really is the spy superb. His complete obliviousness and lack of survival skills may be the only thing that saves him in this globe trotting espionage tale where nothing is what it seems but also kind of actually is what it seems. <laughs> uh, I should also mention that the colors are by Charlene Kent. Uh, that's not mentioned in the solicit. Oh, so. his little sister. That's cool. Where do you Charlene? Uh, yeah, I think it's his five-year-old daughter. <laughs> okay. Just kidding. Just kidding. The solicit kind of says it all. Spice Superb tells the story of the secret agent that never was. And the moron that doesn't realize he's being used to forward a government agenda. 
It's a great mix of Jason Bourne or Manchurian candidate identity issues, plus Bill Murray's The Man Who Knew Too Little. You know what kind of look you're in for when you pick up a Matt Kent comic. To put it frankly, his style is just weird. And I think you either love it or you don't. I love it. Kent's art looks like it was done on more toothsome paper, as we say in the art biz. Because it tastes Which adds, yes, Yes. it's chewy. Like a nougat. Gotcha. Uh, But it adds a texture to the images and meshes with the watercolors. uh, Or, pardon me. It adds a texture to the images and meshes with the colors for this painterly quality. There's also a multimedia thing going on with watercolors, brushes, pens, and markers all in evidence. It could have been accomplished digitally, but if there are physical pages, I'd love to see them. Spy Superb is shaping up to be another fantastic addition to Matt Kent's Flux House universe or whatever it is. I'm giving it a buy it. I hope he's actually doing all this on paper. He strikes me as the kind of guy that does. Because there's that layered look to it almost where he'll like sketch something out and then it looks like he's layering paper on top of it to give it texture almost. Yes, I mean, you can also accomplish that digitally. Probably. I hope he's not. I feel like he's the kind of guy that's not. But anyway, this reminded me of a a Tom Hanks movie called uh, The Man With One Red Shoe, which is a very similar... You know, it's a great yes. film if you haven't seen it, but it's very similar where it they is. just like pick somebody and they're like, that guy's a spy to throw the other spy organizations off. Matt Kent is so good at doing little tiny things in panels, like introducing you to Jay and just letting him talk and talk and talk to reveal like he's a smart guy, but he's nowhere near as smart as he thinks he is. And everybody around him can't stand him, (laughs) including like the barista that he's like sort of flirting with. And then as he walks away, they show the tip jar is empty. And it's just like, this guy's a a jackass. (laughs) I really like this. I'm giving a buy it. Let's jump over to the 616 to talk about Monica Rambeau, colon, photon, number two. We missed number one, whatever. Marvel Comics, it's $3.99. It's written by Eve Ewing, who I believe is Al Ewing's little sister. Art by Luca. Also incorrect. <laughs> Luca Maresca. Here's your solicit. Have you ever had one of those days where everything is going wrong? Like, you've somehow been sucked across the infinite cosmos into the wrong corner of fragmented space-time. I mean, we've all been there. And you run into someone from your past we really can't stand. Like, say, someone from beyond? If so, maybe you'll have some good advice for Monica. She'll take what she can get. Very snarky. I see what you're doing there. Issue number one of the new Photon series hit during our holiday special programming last year, so I decided to check out issue number two. The bulk of issue one was Monica reestablishing herself in the MCU, bringing a mystic relic to a very alive Doctor Strange. So I'm not sure where this falls continuity-wise, since Clea is the current Sorcerer Supreme, whatever, and reflecting on her time as Captain Marvel. This issue continues that narrative, but Ewing is writing Monica much more down-to-earth and hip than her husband, Al, wrote her in the pages of Mighty Avengers and the Ultimates. While not bad, there is definitely a noticeable shift in her dialogue. The art is solid. I'm not crazy about the costume (laughs) design on Photon or the Beyonder. I'm just going to say it. The solicit gives that away, so no spoilers here. Like the story, the art is fine. 
there's got to be something better we can be doing with this character, though, than having Monica Rambeau tussle with Marvel's Mr. Mitzelpitalik or whatever. I'm giving this a skim it. It, it just it felt like the first issue kind of got the story started and the second issue kind of introduced what's going on. And I kind of don't care. <laughs> That's where I'm at. I also don't care. Yeah. Um, the art is whatever. It's fine. It, like it's neither. Yeah. It, it is what it is. It's it's OK. I don't like the design of the costume. I, I think it's really boring and barely thought out. It's like, oh, it's Miss Marvel, but it's black and white. Meh. There you go. Oh, I kind of like the I like the costume, eh. but that's all right. I think you can do better. I'm trying to thread this needle lightly, be, uh, you know, delicately, because I don't want it to come off a certain kind of way. But this version of Monica, Eve Ewing's version of Monica is a lot more casual in her dialect. Yeah, than, totally. I mean, than um, the Monica that I am familiar with now. She sounds like hip swinging black girl. And like Monica's never sounded like that. I will also grant you that the majority of... Monica Rambeau stories I've read have been written by white men. Sure. And Eve Ewing is a black woman. So, you know, whatever that's, it's just, it was a noticeable yeah. difference from what I'm used to. I don't have a problem um, with it. It's just noticeably different. It's different. Yeah. Right. It's just, yeah, that's, it, it's different. Like I, I've never read a comic book where Monica Rambeau uses modern hip slang. Right. You know, I, I just, I've never read that. The story I don't give a shit about the Beyonder. Yeah, I, I don't I, like I think it's, you know, kind of fun where they when they try out the Beyonder sometimes. But in general, I don't really care about the Beyonder as like. An ongoing presence in the Marvel Universe. And, like, am I wrong in saying not that it's easy, but it doesn't feel like a compelling way to start a story for this character? I mean, I think that Marvel doesn't really understand what the Beyonder is. And so yeah. every time the Beyonder shows up, they are completely different. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Great. And, you know, that's certainly one way to go about it, but it doesn't make me want to care about the Beyonder because that's they're essentially all different characters. Like the Beyonder that showed up in Defenders Beyond was the 80s, you know, permed hair. Right. Michael Jackson battle suit, whatever Beyonder from the 80s. This is a totally different looking Beyonder that's like gender, uh, that's gender fluid or androgynous yeah. or whatever. On oh, the Beyonder and, and Secret Wars look totally different than both. And, the, of them. and then the Beyonder, yeah, the Beyonder and the Secret in Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars was this like unknowable thing. I don't care. I yeah. do like this kind of like weird throwback to the 80s Roger Stern, John Buscema uh, era of Avengers. Uh, that she was a part of, and they don't know her, and they and Doctor Druid's like she's in on it. It's a skimmit. Yeah, I, I just, I, I'm not uh, really finding this super compelling. Nah. But I think that Monica is a great character, and I think that there is definitely room at the table for her to be, uh, especially with like Captain Marvel two or uh, the Marvels, I guess, coming out. Like we need a we need Monica to be like restored to some sort of prominence. Yeah, like I really liked what Al Ewing did with like she was dating the Blue Marvel and stuff. They were on a team together and trying to figure out like their yeah, romance and their great. team dynamic. It was great. It was written. The Mighty Avengers stuff was really good too. This just yeah. kind of feels like a step back. Yes, I agree. It's a skimmit. We'll see what happens though. I I like Monica as a character, and I'm not mad that she's out there doing her thing. So.
If you like your science fantasy comics with a side of mermaid murder, then have I got a comic book for you? <laughs> finally. I've been waiting so finally, long. Finally, <laughs> something for me. I'm talking about Black Cloak, number one from Image. It's $4.99. It's written by Kelly Thompson with art by Meredith McLaren. Here's your solicit. Eisner award-winning writer Kelly Thompson heads to Image for the first time with Black Cloak. An all-new series with artist Meredith McLaren. I just said that, guys. Blade Runner style mixes with saga-esque drama in a delectable, there's that word again, fantasy sci-fi blend as two black cloaks try to solve the murder of a beloved prince in Kiros, the last city in the known world. Before his murder tips the city into war, the mystery begins in a spectacular triple-length first issue for four ninety-nine. There really isn't too much more to say about Black Cloak's print debut other than to give it a huge recommendation. As we speculated in a previous episode, the print version combines multiple chapters of Kelly Thompson and Meredith McLaren's Substack series. Uh, shout out to GD Got a Catch for gifting us with a subscription to that so we could review the first issue. Joe didn't use it. <laughs> but we did review Black Cloak number no, one. I know. We did review <laughs> we did. the first chapter of Black Cloak. I did, yeah, I reviewed it. Get, no, I reviewed it. I reviewed it. Get it together. I gave it the best review. You shut up. It gives you a fuller picture of the story that the creators are setting up. Thompson does a tremendous amount of heavy lifting, establishing this science fantasy world, its rules, and its primary characters. It truly is a triple-length first issue, clocking in at nearly 60 pages for just five bucks. The art by Meredith McLaren is simply sublime. The designs top down from the environments to the characters and creatures to the technology are so interesting. I definitely encourage giving creators your direct support through whatever platforms they're on if you can. But if you're the kind of fan that wants that physical copy for your own permanent collection, and I can't fault you for that either, you can't go wrong with Black Cloak number one. Huge buy it. Okay, now I'm going to try and gently thread a needle here. There's something about Meredith McLaren's art, and it's fantastic. I love it. And I'm not trying to cheapen this when I say this, but it has this kind of webtoon, almost anim like anime manga informed thing, but it goes so far beyond that where, and not to simplify that that's hard too. And it's a style and it's a choice that a lot of people make, but it's so deceptively simple and fantastic, like really, really good. She gets so much across. There's like a panel where the cop is walking onto the scene and there's these two little weird, I don't know, rat looking things. And it's like skitter, skitter, skitter. And they're running up close, you know? So it, it creates this awesome POV where you can totally tell she understands all the rules and she's taking out just enough detail to simplify things and show you exactly what she wants to show you. And she's just brilliant. You know, it, you said web comics and I, and I see what you're, getting at there because it does have that feel to me it reminds me of a certain style of video game that's kind of in vogue or or was in vogue especially like in mobile games things like monument valley or oh yeah uh, okay or uh the banner saga, banner saga which are like great games where they're like so art forward so color forward yeah but not necessarily like Lines, 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 no. action lines, speed lines, All, you know, almost hit like boxes. old school, uh, like Ralph Bakshi animation, 
I mean, we've we've gushed and gushed, but yeah, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. Whatever whatever you compare it to, it's gorgeous. <laughs> All right, let's get into the hyper-violent portion of the show and talk about Nemesis Reloaded, number one from Image. It's $3.99. It's written by Mark Miller with art by Jorge Jimenez. Here's your solicit. Miniseries premiere! The world's most evil comic book is back. Who is Nemesis? And why does this eccentric billionaire who dresses up in a mask and cape want to terrorize people instead of helping them? Well, he's a jerk, obviously. Isn't that how this is supposed to go? Trigger warning. Too violent and too cool for some. What a terrible solicit. That is terrible. (laughs) The solicit should probably read, the world's most evil comic book is kind of rebooted. Miller leads off the book with an editorial piece that would be in the back of any other comic, but this is Mark Miller. So you have to read about him making more money off the first Nemesis series than he did on Marvel's highest selling graphic novel of all time, Civil War, which he also wrote. Hey, I'm just not sure why this is a reboot. The look, the feel, the violence, the plain old mean spirited tone of the first miniseries. It's all here. I'm not going to complain about any of that because if you're reading this comic, that's exactly what you came for. I just don't get the reboot aspect. The story comes off as an attempt to get Tucker Carlson screaming about this comic to push sales numbers through the roof. And frankly, I'm surprised Fox isn't screaming about Nemesis' plan already. I guess they only pipe up when Superman does something un-American. Also, like the first mini, the art is simply stunning. Jimenez is firing on all cylinders here. The kidnapping scene and Nemesis' entrance is just unreal comic book action if you're a fan of miller at his most nihilistic edgelord storytelling get ready to chuckle at scenes you know are going to offend the masses drawn by a modern master look i can't buy it i'm giving it a buy it okay so let's start at the beginning i think it's kind of funny that he called it the world's most evil comic book considering one of his other titles stars the literal antichrist <laughs> but that's like splitting hairs i suppose right i didn't care for the first nemesis this is not a surprise we've talked about it on the show many times sure to me it reads like what we accuse miller of being guilty of from time to time which is like super extreme idea that sounds cool on paper and let me crap this out because I know I'm going to make money on it. And he was right. He did. He made more money than he did on civil war. Sure. Marvel's highest selling graphic novel of all time. He's also, which he he's admitting it. And look, I get it. But the first nemesis also had like, if you thought that was gross, what about this kind of like one up, like trying to one up itself the sure. entire run. Sure. This didn't really have a lot of that. It is mean. It is violent, but it's, but I like like the swimming pool scene where he puts all the gang leaders in the pool and he's like, that was Last great. Standing. Was like, that was fun, right? That was kind of cool. And Jimenez drew the hell out of it. It was great. Uh, I, I also think the art is outstanding. This, the Jorge Jimenez is just unbelievably talented. I wonder when he drew this because the dude is still drawing Batman, but it, I mean, it doesn't matter. These things are probably done way in advance. He also might just be one of those guys yeah, that can just, that he might be one of those out, guys. He might, know? he might be one of those guys. I thought that this was a lot more fun than the first nemesis 
was. And so I'm giving this a buy it as well. Now we will see how it goes. Sure. But and keep in mind, like that book, Nemesis came out, what, 15 years ago, 20 years, 10, said? Uh, 10, at least probably it was before legend moved to the new location. So it was prior to 2011. Yeah. But not not 15, but at least 10. Maybe he's grown a lot since then. I don't know. But so, I mean, we'll I'm thinking <laughs> I doubt it's that. still the spirit is still definitely there. And yeah, just, I, I, let me ask so you this. I'm, I'm thinking that like the reboot aspect comes. That's what I was going to say where it's like this is a much more even for only 10 years. Like we still had Facebook back then, but now we've got TikTok, Instagram, sure, Snapchat. Sure. Like the world is so much more connected now than it was back in 2000 and whatever. And that seems to be a huge part of the plot. Yeah. And he talks Um, about it as a gentle reboot. He even mentions like, look at Superman. Superman has been gently rebooted to like update every so on and so forth. And and I think that's what they're doing. I think it's a very gentle reboot. Here's the thing. And I know where you're coming from. And I know that like that last book is very triggering for you, but he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing here. And this is, it's not triggering. I just don't like it. It's this book is irresistible. <laughs> it really it's, is. It's resistible. It's, <laughs> I mean, really it's, it's probably the textbook definition of a skimmit because no matter how well-written crossed is, for example, I, yeah. you might, you might just not be the sort of person. I mean, sure. That wants cross, but he's executing this very well, but this like, is well done. As it, well it, as it's it well done. done. Yeah. And, but you know, it, I'm giving it some leeway. We'll see where it goes. You know, I reserve the right to change my mind if it jumps the show. Well, sure. You belong, you belong, you belong, you belong to the merry marble marching society. March along, march along. Why don't we talk about something a little more wholesome? <laughs> I thought we were resetting things back to factory settings with this next comic. It's Avengers War Across Time, number one from Marvel. It's $5.99, and let me tell you what, if you are searching for this comic book and you accidentally forget that it's War Across Time and not War Against Time, good luck finding it, because <laughs> you won't. It's written by Paul Levitz with art by Alan Davis. Here's your solicit. Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Giant Man, and the Wasp, the classic Avengers against the Hulk on the streets of New York. It's the beginning of a showdown with Kang the Conqueror that will span the centuries. Eisner, Hall of Famer, Paul Levitz makes his Marvel debut. Unless you count a letter in Amazing Adventures number five, which is cute. Doesn't count. Teamed with acclaimed artist Alan Davis. That's in the solicit. I didn't actually look up that he wrote a letter in Amazing Adventures number five. That's too much for me, even for me. Now, Alan and I are on record as supporting veteran creators' right to work, obviously even if we aren't always thrilled by the outcome. In War Across Time, legendary DC writer and publisher Paul Levitz delivers a story so inextricably linked to existing Silver Age stories that it might as well be one. There's probably a market for that, I'm sure, but I'm not part of it. What's more is that Levitz is recycling plot points from those older tales. For example... The Avengers fought a Spider-Man robot. Why not pit them against a Hulk robot? It's the same story. Yeah. Uh, Also, also Kang. The Spider-Man robot was also Kang's. The stakes are nil and thus so is the excitement. Alan Davis, an artist I personally adore, completely phones it in with this issue. 
There are moments of his typical brilliance, but they're just moments. The rest of the issue looks rushed, unfinished, murky, or all of the above all at once. I can't help but think it's because he inked himself for some reason, but he should never do that again. Yeah, he should not be like, if this is what we get when Alan Davis inks it, I don't think I, it's, but Alan Davis inked himself in like the clandestine books and those look no, really good. Alan Davis, Alan Davis for a very long time has worked with an inker named Mark Farmer. Okay. Not, uh, not like all the time, but I also know like you can, you can look at this and even if you don't think he's a particularly, if you don't like his inks as much inking himself, I get that, but there's clearly a difference between, you know, page X and page Y where page X is like, this is by a professional comic book artist. Yes. And page Y is like, these are scribbles, not literally scribbles, but you know what I mean? Thick and murky and yeah. With a boring, repetitive story and rough art, Avengers War Across Time number one is a poor addition to Marvel's line of throwback series. I'm giving this a leave it. Yeah, I hated it. (laughs) <laughs> i hated this like, i just was like I, first of all i was bored yeah second of all i was like i can't believe that this is alan davis three he, pages not in. good three pages in i said out loud oh my god do i really have to read this whole thing because like it's look it is one thing at least re- it wasn't two issues of extreme x-men that's true this week it is one th- i would argue now i'm just gonna say this those, <laughs> those two Don't issues it. of extreme x-men were more entertaining than this. I'll say that. At least they delivered on the raw balls out. This is bizarre. I can't believe we're here. This came off is just like aping a Silver Age story. It's one thing to revisit a Silver Age story and modernize it a bit, but still have those Silver Age sensibilities. Paul Levis goes straight Silver Age. Like can't get past it. Just straight up. And I understand when we go back and we read Silver Age back issues, I am able to say, okay, in the time, this is how comic books were written. And we didn't have understandings of certain things. And they matured over time. And that's why I appreciate them now. I still love where that stuff came from. I'm not taking anything away from those guys. But I don't feel the need to go back in time and do an experiment like this. <laughs> it, it is a waste of time. It is a waste of paper. And it's bad Alan Davis art. This is a leave it. It's bad. It is bad. It this is, is bad. bad, Alan Davis art. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Alan, because also, I love your work. Dear love Marvel, you. this experiment is over. Let's stop. Okay. Let's just stop. You know, uh, there's a there's a name. I I I realized that there is a name for this line of flashback books. It's the Marvel Legends line, like X Men. Is that what Legends. it is? But for some reason, not they don't all have the word legends in the title. If they all had the word legends in the title, I'd be like, okay, I get it. But if they put legends in the title, we might be able to spot them and not be tricked into buying them if we're not interested. Well, I'm never tricked so because I see this mind. stuff in like you know I like. <laughs> no, I'm just I, talking I about. At, I get a look at this stuff. I'm and talking about I'm, Joe. I'm talking about Joe Schmo who walks in off the street and goes, "Ah, oh, the Avengers! I love the Avengers! I'm picking people, it up." <laughs> but some people gotta love it, man. I don't understand it. This, I want to see one, sales numbers. I want to see sales numbers on this crap. I'm going to watch. You know what? I, I think I, I said the same thing about Extreme X-Men. Uh, I, I will say this. I don't know if this is strictly part of that same line because it's not necessarily like all of those other books are like, here's a story that happened the day after 
the Hulk got punched into space but by Spider-Man. But this is exactly that. This is when they, the day after but they fought that like, Spider-Man this robot. This is the same adventure just like five minutes yeah. later or this has in to be part of it, scenes in the same comic. This has to be part I of it. Know. Otherwise, it makes even less sense. Uh, I mean, maybe, I, but regardless, no. it, don't read it. It's Let's not stop good. talking about it, <laughs> please. It's time to get into the first DC event of 2023. Lazarus, Planet Alpha, number one. Woo. Wait, I'm sorry. The full title is DC Universe. Oh, sorry. Lazarus, Planet <laughs> Alpha, yeah. number one, one shot. Yeah, they're getting paid by the colon, apparently. So <laughs> this is DC. It's $5.99. It's written it's by- It's got so many words in the title. <laughs> Gene Luing Yang and Mark Wade with art by Billy Tan of Tan Comics and Ricardo Federici. Here's your solicit. Change the world! Following the explosive, literally, events of Batman versus Robin number four, the Lazarus volcano has erupted, spewing dangerous and transformative chemicals into Earth's atmosphere. As these Lazarus clouds rain down upon the planet, people across the globe begin to develop strange new abilities, watch their already extraordinary abilities change, and witness a whole host of chaos unlike anything that DCU has experienced before. It's up to Damian Wayne to put out the distress call for whoever can still hear it. Come to the ruins of the Hall of Justice and help save the world. It'd be cool if we saw something like that happen. Poison Ivy, Power Girl, Cyborg, Batman, and more answer the call. But why could the fate of all life as we know it rest in the hands of Monkey Prince? Question with With as long as this solicit is, it's no wonder there are so many words on the title. Yeah, and had they printed this solicit on the inside cover of the book, it may have helped a little bit. Now. At the risk of sounding like a broken record, here we go again with another DC project that not only assumes you read Batman versus Robin one through four, but it's so goddamn sure that you did that there isn't even a mention of where this story started. Nowhere that's in incorrect. the book. No, no, that's wrong. No, I'm it's... looking. I'm literally looking right at it. Where? Where uh, there is a there is a scene where Robin is uh, Robin and Batman and Talia have escaped and they've landed where the other superheroes are. And Robin tells them the entire story of. Oh, no, no, no. First world's finest art. I agree. And I agree. And the uh, Batman versus Robin. I agree. Robin goes on a tirade and resets a bunch of stuff that has he happened. resets the story. Yes, there so is far. no mention of where this took place. It does not say world's finest. It does not say Batman versus Robin. Anywhere. Uh, there's an editor's note right here that says as seen in Batman, Superman world's finest. Joe, that's the only one. And it only cites world's finest. Number five. That's it. There's no mention of Batman versus Robin. You are right that it, I don't see Hold anything on. about, there's no editor's note that says, Hey, read Batman versus Robin. I don't see that. I did read Batman versus Robin. And even with that under my belt, this felt extremely disjointed with a story that spent the entire issue trying to half explain why these characters are acting weird, why they are here, and where they will be positioned for their respective one-shots as part of the event. The art is tremendous, okay? It's, it's pretty good. Federici is masterful with detailed and textured line work that makes this one-shot look 
legendary. He is going to be a legend himself very soon. I love his Blue Devil. Blue Devil's never looked this goddamn good. But the narrative in Lazarus Planet is all place setting for other books with barely a recap or even a previously in Batman versus Robin to give readers any sense of what the hell is going on or why these characters are even here. There's literally a scene where they open a door and two characters are just there fighting somebody. And they go, oh, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, oh, we we heard stuff was going on, so we came here. Great. (laughs) Thanks. It's very pretty to look at, though. I'm giving it a skim it because it's rescued by the art. The whole thing where, like, the last issue of Lazarus or of uh, Batman versus Robin is staggered to make room for the event. I have no problems with that. Like, I think I've seen that sort of thing before sure. where it's like, sure, spinning from the pages of this. Now it is this. And then come back for the Omega issue or whatever. Issue five. It'll be issue five. But man, Mark, wait, I love you. Uh, like. <laughs> We had a whole episode devoted to you, and yeah, I love you. Just last, it was literally like, the last I've, episode we put out. <laughs> I've met you uh, at, at least two occasions. You called me when I was sick. Oh. Because you came to our store for a signing. I was sick. I had strep throat. All right, skewer him. Let's go. Come on. I don't give a shit about the devil. <laughs> no, and I don't give I a don't shit care. about the Dragon Ball Z I, bullshit with the, with the monkey prince either. The monkey I, prince is I, a pretty I, interesting character. I like him. You know, whatever, but I don't care about the monkey prince either. I yeah, said it. I'm not reading the uh, monkey prince. No, but okay. Okay. Right. No, I don't. I also don't read the monkey prince and that's fine. Like there's an audience for the monkey prince. Sure. That's fine. I don't have to read every comic. That's fine. Yeah. The devil Neza, I think is kind of dumb. I don't Very like him dumb. as a villain. Very dumb. <laughs> so I love, I did like Batman versus Robin. I liked the whole aspect where like Damien's, just you know, brief, uh, a very small spoiler for the plot of Batman versus Robin is that Damien's grief was exploited and right. he was brainwashed yeah. into attacking Batman and, and trying to gall- gather all these magical artifacts for Neza. <laughs> so I like that. Like, I like the aspects of like Damien's grief being uh, um, exploited and him being brainwashed and all this blah, blah, blah. I just don't like the main villain. And King Fireball, who is like his dad or his son or whatever the f- it was. I, I don't, don't remember. Even, I think it's his son. I don't think they're even related. No, I believe it's explicitly stated that uh, King Fireball is the devil Neza's son. And it doesn't matter. But like, he's also d- dumb. He's uninteresting. Yeah. And I don't know if it's, again, trying to thread a needle here because I don't want to be dismissive of anything of anybody's culture, but I don't know if it's an attempt for to like kind of expand on a cultural level. And if that's the case, my bad, I get it. No, I just don't think it is the devil. The devil Neza has not earned the status of being like the major impetus for a line wide. I agree. I agree. Event. And I don't think there's anything wrong in saying that, like, look, if you want to do that, and if you want to expand culturally and and use these Chinese, you know, uh, characters and folklore and whatnot. Great. I'm all for it. But you can't just mash them into my book and expect me to go. Oh, man, this is a big threat. Right. Yes. And that's where that's where I'm at. That's kind of what I was trying to get at. It's like I need more time to get to know these characters before I can care about these characters. Right. And I feel like 
they were just kind of like introduced and then very quickly moved to the front of the line. And now, yes, it's the they're the big bad of this event, which, again, I'm I'm not super excited about that. I agree that the narrative is a little disjointed. You know, this issue is it's serving a purpose. Like you said, it's just like setting things up. It's like. And then here's where Power Girl goes and here's where Swamp Thing goes. But like, the other side whatever. of that is like they're all just like when the book opens, they're all just here. It's true. And no, now they right. all go, you it, go there, you go there, you go there and you go there. OK, one shots next. It's you're absolutely <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. But as a function of a comic book event, I understand its existence. I, but that doesn't make it good. It no. makes it it makes it skimmable. Yeah, yeah it's a skim it. It's a skim it. Even the end of this book says, all right, come on back for Lazarus Planet this, Lazarus Planet that, Lazarus Planet him, Lazarus Planet her. No mention of, oh, by the way, there's another issue of Batman versus Robin. Well, that's at the very end. No. No, I mean, that'll be like when the last one shot comes out, it'll be like, for the thrilling conclusion, go to Batman versus Robin number five. Well, it would be nice if they would mention that. (laughs) <laughs> it would be well, nice I'm if they sorry, would say that somewhere, all right? New comic book Wednesday, January 18th. If there is a theme this week, that theme is definitely carefully threading troublesome needles. I would argue it's white guys commenting on Asian culture. <laughs> I mean, look. It, it is what it is, Joe. I mean, come on. It's a, I mean, you know, we're, we're saying that as a joke. Yeah, but, but, uh, we're going to be spoiler, careful. Spoiler, spoilers for my next review. It's actually not that bad. White Savior number one is the comic. It's number one of four from Dark Horse. It's $3.99. It's written by Eric Nguyen and Scott Berman with art by Eric Nguyen. Here's your solicit. An ancient prophecy foretold of an outsider that would save the peaceful village of Enoki from an unstoppable army. A man who would confuse the people at first with his unconventional ways, but lead them to the light. Nathan Guerin, captain in the United States Army, known for his viciousness in battle on the American frontier, could be that man if he weren't such an awful, drunken idiot. Now it's up to Japanese-American teacher Todd Parker to warn the good people of Enoki of Garen's true nature before he causes the very death and destruction they are counting on him to avert. What if Tom Cruise's Last Samurai was actually from the future and also a complete moron? <laughs> That's more or less the elevator pitch for White Savior, and it's a pretty clever setup. Nguyen and Berman spend a little too much time focusing on Todd's life in the present before getting to the point, but the script is pretty clever with plenty of humorous dialogue. The real star, though, is Nguyen's art, especially when the story switches to feudal Japan and the art takes on a much harsher angular feel. White Savior number one struggles a bit in the execution, but it's got a solid story. A good sense of humor and great art. I'll check out the second issue for sure. I'm giving this a strong skimmit. I did not love the art. I thought it, it got a little weird at parts, and it was like, well, felt, see, I liked. That's why I and liked it. It felt a little heavy on the digital coloring to me, and I don't know. I didn't really notice that, but I didn't. I, mean, I didn't love that that's aspect. A, that's, I, I think they have a clever premise, but they're not yeah. delivering on that premise as well as they think they are, you know, like it just wasn't as funny as this book thought it was. It was kind of where I was at. Like I read it and went, I get it. You're supposed to be funny here. It's supposed to be a funny thing. 
This is all funny stuff. And it just, none of it really landed for me. And by the end of it, I was kind of like, eh, all right, I'm probably not going to read the next issue. I'm not saying it's a failure. I would give it a, a low skim it. I think I, I just, <laughs> it didn't do much for me at all. Honestly. And I mean, whatever. I, it's because you are a humor, a humorless dick, but that's okay. That's why you, that, that's why good, we make such a good team. I think I have a pretty good sense of humor. No, I mm. just like I, I felt like it was trying a little too hard to be humorous, and it had it just relaxed a little bit. Maybe it would have come off better. Um, I was a little. I mean, I can I obviously can, we don't. I can agree with that. Yeah, I, I obviously we don't know what's going on with the character, why he traveled time or anything. But I also think the art didn't do us any favors to show us he was traveling time. I felt like I saw that panel and then I went to the next page and I was like, "What is going on?" I went back to the last panel and then went to the next page and went, "Oh, okay, I guess he traveled." Time. I mean, he's falling through a he's falling through a cosmic void but it's just like a white page you know with the character white white it's like a void of nothingness i suppose and and look we have said on this show and then there's an art shift but yeah yeah. and we have said on this show like stay in your lane as an artist and don't try and draw something you shouldn't draw so maybe that's what they did fine i just don't think any of this landed really well for me i'm gonna give it a skim it (laughs) you know what maybe i was just in a maybe i was just in a silly mood i don't know It, it is kind of more the humor is a little bit more silly than clever, I guess yeah. is fair to say. But I did say the the best, of the, like the I'm just gonna give you this spoiler. When Todd lands in feudal Japan and like in the middle of this battle, and he like ducks and covers until it's over, and then the the leader of of the victorious army, you know, picks him up and takes him to get help and whatever, and they're talking after, and, he, and the guy says you know, what clan are you from? And the only thing Todd knows to answer is Wu-Tang Clan because he doesn't know anything about feudal Japan. He doesn't speak Chinese. He doesn't even, like, he's not a very good representative of the Chinese people, which I think is also kind of clever, where it's just like this guy. Yeah, I like that aspect. He comes right out and he's like, look, I'm not good at math. I barely like Chinese food. Like, he bucks all the stereotypes. Yeah, he's like, get over He's like, yeah, what clan are you from? He's like, I don't know, Wu-Tang Clan? But at the same time, right before that, he was like, ouch, I fell on my balls. And someone's like, what happened? He's like, sounds like someone fell on their balls. (laughs) Like, okay. Thanks. You know, like I said, <laughs> silly. Whatever. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. All right, let's get back to the hardcore violence with Barbaric. Hell to pay, number one. It's from Vault. It's three ninety nine. It's written by Michael Morrissey with art by Nathan Gooden. Here's your solicit. Barbaric is back and headed straight to hell in an all-new arc so big and bloody, it's getting an extra issue. While Owen tames a dragon with an old friend, Soren and Steel cross paths with someone else from our cursed barbarian's past who isn't looking nearly as friendly. Hell hath no fury like a woman stabbed through the heart by an ugly friggin' orc. But it's like F dash 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 orc. Oh, wait, who's carrying axe? Yes, every time a new issue of Barbaric Series hits, I am going to review it on this show, and I'm going to give it a buy it. Spoiler. And this will continue until you are all reading this series. Morrissey is further expanding Owen and his foul mouth, talking Axe's universe in this chapter, and if you read the last mini, you know 
Owen is in hell. But that's not going to stop this psychotic and also foul-mouthed barbarian or his foul-mouthed and also psychotic friends from coming to his rescue. Nathan Gooden is electric on this comic, injecting hyper-violent rage into his multicolored blood-splattered panels. There is an amazing battle scene with a monster that is modeled right after the big bad in Conan the Destroyer that left me chuckling at the gore. Barbaric is ridiculous fantasy storytelling that never gets too serious and brings heavy violence and action. Fans of the latest Willow series on Disney Plus and the Evil Dead trilogy will love this comic. Yes, (laughs) in the sense that it's not taking itself as seriously as the Lord of the Rings. Look, hey, fans of the fans of the Willow relaunch. Just know that this comic book is hideously violent and terrible. It's I think not I spelled gonna be... that out in my review pretty well. I'm just <laughs> saying it's just like if all if all they hear if like they're driving in the car and they're distracted and all they hear is like if you like Willow, be prepared. What I'm saying is if you like the tone of Willow that doesn't yes, take the fantasy too seriously, I'm giving this it. a massive buy it. Here's the thing about me and Barbaric. Every time there's a new Barbaric. We review it on the show. I make you read it. Yeah. (laughs) And I I love it because it's great. And that's all I've ever read is the first issue of every volume because I'm bad at staying caught up on things. And I also didn't read the solicit because, you know, why would I? I wasn't reviewing it, so I didn't have to. Sure. So I opened the book and I'm like, okay, I remember I remember the lady with all of the like weird tattoos, the witch. Yeah. And. I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't, what's wrong with the guy's hair? Why does he look so different? That's not, wait a minute, that's Van, not him. He's a Van, <laughs> where's the guy, where's the guy with the weird anime hair? He's dead. <laughs> and then, you know, before the end of the issue, obviously it's like, oh, yes. that they're looking for him. I get it now. So like, I didn't know any of that going into it, which didn't lessen my enjoyment. I was just having, having that prior knowledge of, who the characters are i was a little confused at first sure sure but uh i thought this was a ton of fun the axe is hilarious that like i freaking love the axe yeah it's great I love like every time they chop something like every time they decapitate something with the axe it, it, and it gets blood on it it, it gets drunk it, which is so funny this was a treat the art is gorgeous he's so it, good has he been drawing has he drawn the other volumes too or he's has drawn it been all a different of it. no time? it's been him the whole time the only thing he didn't do was that little mini series that there was we like a one time. shot that we read too that it was a two i think it was two i think it was two issues oh, maybe. like a tiny mini yeah a tiny mini but no, a two issue is, mini series <laughs> this is awesome awesome it's a buy it for my money my genre of choice is hard-boiled TV-style detectives. So my next review is of Immortal Sergeant number one of eight. From Image Comics, it's $3.99. It's written by Joe Kelly with art by Ken Nimura. I'm sorry, Ken. I tried. Here's your solicit. Miniseries premiere. I hate that shit. Image. I know. Award-winning I Kill Giants storytellers Joe Kelly. You know him and you love him from things like Deadpool and maybe to a lesser extent, Savage Spider-Man. And Ken Nomura, who worked on the Eisner Award-winning Umami, returned to yank on your heartstrings with Immortal Sergeant. On the eve of his unwelcome retirement, Jim Sargent, a.k.a. Sarge, a grizzled old-school detective, 
catches a break on a murder case that's haunted him for decades. Unfortunately, Sarge must drag his anxiety-riddled adult son, Michael, along for the ride or risk losing the lead forever. Can this dysfunctional duo overcome their own hangups, blind spots, and secrets to catch a killer? Sarge is basically your stereotypical Hollywood-style cop. He's definitely too old for this shit, but he's not ready to let it go. He's also a misogynistic drunk asshole haunted by the ghosts of unsolved cases. Sarge chews up the scenery in a really entertaining way thanks to Kelly's fantastic dialogue. He only scratches the surface of the main plot involving Sarge's son, Michael, but I can already tell it's going to be a great ride. It would be easy for someone to write off Ken Nomura's work in this issue as crude or simplistic, but that would be wrong. What appears to be crude simplicity is clearly by design in the same vein as artists like Matt Kent or yeah. Jeff Lemire, and his storytelling is fantastic. Immortal Sergeant has a lot to live up to. I Kill Giants was a masterpiece. I don't know what kind of story this will be just yet, but Kelly and Nomura definitely deserve the trust and the time they'll need to tell it. Immortal Sergeant number one gets a huge buy it from me. This is definitely wackier than I Kill Giants. No question. It's like I Kill Giants at first <laughs> did have humor and as does this. But this was this is like more in your face kind of funny. Sure. And it's also not fair to put the two together just because two people are working together. I mean, they can't they do are two different, different projects. projects completely. This right. is a completely different project. This is the stereotypical 80s police sergeant who, you know, like sits at his desk and cusses and throws out racial slurs and, ah, you know, he's that guy, right? Right. He, like, he's the, he's the guy, uh, you know, and so I married an axe murderer. Mike Myers, friend was the cop. Yeah. And he was just like, all he wanted was for his captain to be that guy. Right. And that's what Sarge is. Sarge is that guy. He's the guy that like. He is the cat. Okay. Better. I got a better metaphor for you. Yeah. He is the captain from Beverly Hills Cop. The super foul mouth, sure. like yeah, just mean right. as hell, like old school. Yeah, detective. yeah, yeah. Yep. And it's. 100%. Th there's almost like a newspaper funny kind of feel to Nomura's art because it is super yeah, loose. Okay. And it, and it glance, you're right. It someone, is very loose. Someone yes. could look at it and be like, they barely drew this. This is garbage. It is not garbage. It's masterful. And he's doing so much with so very little. It's incredible. There's almost kind of like a slice of life manga humor to this as well, where it's a little over the top. It's a little ridiculous, but there's still like some heart that's going on here as well. They're developing some stuff and they're doing a ton of character building again with very little. Like the script is just as like decompressed as the art. Joe Kelly is taking a very similar approach to the story that Nomura is with his art, where he's like, I'm going to give you just enough, just exactly what you need to know exactly who this character is. These guys are masterful storytellers. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Jumping back to the 616 for a little more superhero talk. We don't do quite enough of that on this show, and I apologize. We'll get to more, I promise. Yeah, man, I really wish. I, I should have made a resolution about doing more Marvel comics. I know. We're going to talk about Wasp, number one, from Marvel. It's $3.99. This is written by Eve Ewing's husband, Al Ewing, with art by <laughs> Kaisa Nye. Here's your solicit. Fashion designer, businesswoman. Founding Avenger, Janet Van Dyne has worn many hats over the course of her superheroic career, but when an old enemy threatens Janet, 
and her fellow wasp, Nadja, seemingly against his will, the Van Dynes will have to confront the ghosts in their shared history to get to the bottom of the mystery. Al Ewing brings the same magic he used on his most recent Ant-Man miniseries to the Wasp, but without maybe all the historical perspective. Now, to be fair, there haven't been as many Wasps. But the new one, Nadja, is here, and he does a really nice job introducing the character to new readers. Nadja's past looks to play into the story, too, and will connect the two Wasps, much like his previous Ant-Man story. Nye's art is great it's very pop art influence stuff that reminded me of mike alred's work at times although her backgrounds are a little more sparse she does an excellent job making janet look like an actually well-dressed fashion designer which is something i cannot say for a lot of legendary artists that have drawn her in the past wasp number one was some of the most compelling janet van dyne stuff i have read in years with an equally compelling bad guy that looks to bring her and Nadja even closer together with some fantastic art from newcomer Nye. I'm giving this a buy it. This was just fun. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know Al Ewing was writing it for one thing. I, I knew that it like thematically tied into that Ant-Man mini. Because yeah, the covers the are very similar. Cover designs very similar. Yeah. To your point about how it doesn't get bogged down in the historical stuff, that like this is literally a follow up to the Wasp's first appearance. Is it really? The, See now, yes, I didn't, but the, like uh, the, I didn't even know. I thought maybe this was all new. I didn't even no, know. No, no, no. This is uh, I. I remember very distinctly reading uh, one of the earliest Marvel trade paperbacks, uh, like um, Origins of Marvel Comics or Son of Origins or whatever they were, sure. uh, whichever one it was in. Uh, that had the first appearance of the Wasp, which was also the first appearance of Hank Pym as Ant-Man. Right. It is this. It, it was like the flashbacks. That's that's what all of this was. I read that when I was a little kid and I was like, oh, my God. OK, I can't believe they're calling back to that. One of the reasons I don't know that is because unlike the Avengers War against or across time, I can't even remember anymore. This does a really nice job of flashing back, changing the art slightly, making it look very Silver Age, but not going full on Silver Age. Yeah, yeah, know? no, it's a, it's it's certainly like a modern. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a flashback with like modern sensibilities. Again, knowing nothing about it, expecting nothing, and being very pleasantly surprised. This is a buy it for me. Yeah, I felt bad for the poor bad guy that was in this one too. I was like, oh man, it's not even his fault. <laughs> And as always, in order to fulfill our contractual obligations, our last two reviews of the episode will be Batman related, starting with Nightwing number 100 from DC. It's $6.99. It's written by Tom Taylor, art by Bruno Redondo, Rick Leonardi, Scott McDaniel, Michael Jannon, and Javier Fernandez. To be fair, if you throw a dart at the DC like new titles, there's like a 70% chance you're going to hit a Batman title. So <laughs> It's true. Here's your solicit. Look, I'm going to admit this. This is a goofy ass solicit. It is weird. But you know what? It's weird. But more power to them. They're celebrating. Come join us with big smiles and even bigger celebrations as Nightwing hits its milestone issue 100. Sounds like an invitation Cheer. to Sunday school. Right. Like. Yeah. Bring your big smiles. Yeah. Cheer, cheer how far we've come by looking through the decades at what has made Nightwing a beloved hero. What better way to celebrate than with familiar friends and artists? Then, with Heartless creating a lair in the heart of Bloodhaven to take Blockbuster's throne, Nightwing will follow suit, setting up a headquarters of his own. 
with the help of some friends who helped make him who he is now. The Outsiders, of course. right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the Outsiders. Everybody remembers his time with the Outsiders. Yeah. I mean, that was a good book, but yeah. Let's get the hard part out of the way first. There's a fair amount of art in this issue. That's pretty rough. Yeah. Especially the pages done by old favorites. No names. We were excited about it. Didn't work out. Yeah. But Bruno Redondo, Michael Jannon, and Eddie Barrows, who is credited but not listed in the solicit. Sorry, Eddie. Absolutely crush it. Redondo is one of the best artists to hit the scene in years, and some of his pages are breathtaking. One thing that I thought was especially done well is that Nightwing is coming in for a landing. He's like jumping off of a ledge or whatever and coming down for a landing with his sticks out into action. And it's a series of splash pages. Yeah. And it's like Scott McDaniel in the classic Nightwing uh, outfit. And then it's Rick Leonardi in the next Nightwing outfit. And then Michael Jan. And and it was like Nightwing through the years as he's landing. I want four or five. Every single one of those original art pages, except for the Jim Lee designed <laughs> costume. Oh yeah, I hate that, that, was, that costume. was drawn by that one that one was drawn by Eddie Barrows. Yes, yeah. the where he I was mean, it's very well drawn. Book. It looks good. I just hate that It's costume. where he he went red instead of blue yeah. and I don't like it either. I hate it. He also delivers some Redondo, of course, now we're back to talking about. Delivers some incredible emotional moments with his collaborator Tom Taylor, who has done more to increase Nightwing's status in the DCU than any other writer since the 90s. The Justice League is in disarray, and so they've asked Dick Grayson to step up and fill the void. We get a glimpse of what that will look like here. You can probably guess what old friends they are talking about in the solicit. I could not be more excited. Now, there's a sequence at the end of this. There's a couple pages at the end of this building where they talk about uh, Dick's new headquarters that is being built in Bloodhaven. And he's giving a press conference and he's talking about it and he's talking about like stepping up to become a hero and protecting the world and blah, blah, blah. You didn't see this coming a mile away. I saw this coming and, a mile away, but I was like, Oh no, they don't. Oh, no. Oh, I are they doing it? I saw this coming it? a mile and away. And then they did it. And <laughs> then they did it. I know, but still I was just like, yes, thank you. Thank you. Nightwing 100. It's not a perfect comic, but it comes pretty close and it is a great example of a milestone issue done, right? It's all new content. It's yeah. relatively inexpensive for yes. a book this thick. It's firing on all cylinders. Some dodgy art aside. It's a huge buy it. Huge. So we just talked about that Superman issue that I kind of teased you about. We were like, yeah, it was, you know, 56 pages of Superman hugging people. And you're like, yeah, but I love that. So they were able to get that same feeling here and do some really emotional stuff, but also build on the story and take the character to a new place that is very exciting. Now, I don't know if there's a way to even talk about this without spoiling it. We know that Dick was a Titan. DC has already come on and said it. The new J- basically the people replacing the JLA are the Titans. That's and that's what I'm saying. Do it. Just do it. Make the Titans the new Justice League. Don't make them the new Titans. I'm they gonna, have their own identity though. They're, I get it. They're the Titans. I get it, but they need to be the Justice League. Batman shows up, says, Dick, we want you to run the Justice League, not a beefed up Titans. We want you to be a part of the premier DC super team, the Justice League. It's time to graduate. Yeah, but see, that's this is where I disagree, because I don't they're not the teen Titans. They're the Titans. I understand that. It's time for them to be the Justice League. It's like becoming X-Force, right? I, it's like the new mutants becoming X-Force. I don't they care have about the Titans. Identity. I'll say it. I don't care about the Titans. And when they come and say, we want you to lead the Justice League. That's what I want him to do. Lead the Justice League. Take your Titans, buddy. 
put them in the Justice League. The they're world gonna make you needs care about the Titans. Justice they're gonna League. make you care about the Titans. No, they are not. now they are now DC's preeminent superhero team. Nah, whatever. I want to be the Justice League or I don't care. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. And to round out our Batman reviews, we come to Batman, one bad day. It's not over yet. It's Bane's turn. For this one's from DC. It is $7.99. It's written by Joshua Williamson with art by Howard Porter. Here is your solicit. A past, present, and future destroyed by Venom. Not that Venom, though. Bane broke the bat. He's one of the only villains to ever truly vanquish the Dark Knight, but is that all he's ever accomplished? Decades from now, Bane is a washed-up wrestler, reliving his glory days in the ring, defeating someone dressed like Batman every day. But when he discovers that there's a new source of venom in the world, he'll do everything he can to shut down the facility it's coming from for good and make sure that no one takes the poison that ruined his life. An epic saga set throughout Bane's life, expanding on the hopes, dreams, regrets, and failures of one of DC's most legendary villains, brought to you by, yeah, 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 I just told you who they were. Bane gets his shot at a bad day, but unlike the other one shots in the series, I really like the choice Williamson made to give us this retrospective of Bane's life and a glimpse of his future. This is by no means an end for the character either, but no spoilers here. There's a commentary on drug use, drug trafficking, celebrity, depression, and even taking ownership of past sins. Porter is out of his mind. Trying this comic is a hyper-violent wrestling match complete with pages of tiny little panels featuring brutal beatings. It's so great. His style here is better than anything I have seen from the guy, and I have been following his work for more than 20 years. The Bane One Bad Day chapter of these one-shots is now tied for one of the best that I have read and you heard us both gush about how good that Mr. Freeze issue was. I am giving this a massive buy it. I loved this. Yes, I also loved this. Now, I will say there was a plot twist at the end that made me scratch my head because based on the information that you get previously in the issue, it doesn't make a ton of sense. We already thought we knew what happened, and then suddenly Williamson was like, but what if it didn't happen that way? Oh, maybe, I, I maybe get, I'm not clear what you're talking about then. Um, Real quick. I'll, I'll cut this part. Matt and I talked about it off mic. We've come to an accord, and I can see it either way. But I thought this was tremendous. Yeah. The art, the story was one thing, which I did love. Howard Porter, that guy, yeah. his style changes or improves not i don't want to say improves but it changes changes because this is a thing like if you take howard porter's name off the book and show it to me and goes who's drawing this i would go i don't know but that kicks ass <laughs> i would I never recognize know. it as howard porter because it does have characteristics but i suppose like but his art evolves that's the word i was looking for yeah. it evolves every time he's put on a new project it's incredible this comic is incredible looking yeah from and it's not just the the line art. The colors are great as well. It's a uh, Tomu Tomu More or whatever. There's uh, so much glowing green. <laughs> it's but yeah, it's it's so freaking good. This is a buy it for me. I thought this was great. The one you know we we say it every time we review one. The wet the one bad days have been fifty fifty. At this point, I think we've got more hits than misses by now. Yeah, I think so. Check out the links in our show notes for more details on all these comics. But now, 
it's time to pick the one comic that crawled from the darkness to rise as a champion. You might say it was born in the dark, which they say <laughs> over and over in the Bane comic. They, they steal that right from Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Matt, which one of these comics are you putting in the THN private collection? So big spoiler, it's the Batman one bad day, Bane. It would, God, I love Bane. And this is just a perfect distillation of the character. And I love the wrestling aspect. And I and I love, you know, like very minor spoiler. Like he there's a guy dressed like Batman and he's wrestling him and he breaks his back in the ring. Everyone's like, yeah, Oh my he, god, he and the guy in the ring every, is like, every I can't night feel my ring. legs, yeah. you know, and the ref's like, Bane, what did you do? And then like All the paramedics uh. five minutes later the guy's like, Hey man, it was great working with you. That was amazing. <laughs> like, and just, what, was I, what I did love about that is that like none of the fans were fooled. They were all like, Yeah. Yeah, they're always like, yeah, he killed him. <laughs> and for a second I was like, Oh shit, Bane actually went nuts and killed yeah. him. Yeah, no, it's this great <laughs> It's just great understanding of like wrestling and kayfabe and everything. It's just yeah, a great no, book. That's, I loved that's it. It's awesome. Yeah. In a shocking turn of events, mine is Nightwing 100. Oh, and you know what? If you really want to get technical about it, Lazarus Planet Alpha number one is Batman adjacent. So we've oh yeah done bonus work for DC this over week. the above and beyond. Yeah. Uh, not Nightwing 100. It's everything. It's everything I want for that character. It was great. I can't. I can't wait for what's ahead. I'm so pleased with it. I took yeah, some points off. I took some points off for dodgy art. I understand, and, and it, I don't fault you. And for it that. upset. It upset me. <laughs> it was a hero of mine. So I wanted to believe. I wanted yeah, to love. I, I didn't do. Review time may be over, but we can't stop talking about funny books on this show. So it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we focus our arcane magics, hold the occasional seance, make fun of the new Marvel demonized variants, and of course, discuss our must-read picks for next Wednesday, January 25th. Joe Patrick, which these nerds be reading next week? Next week, my pick of the week is The Magic Order 4, number one from Image Comics. It's volume four that they just put the number right there in the title, like sure. saying Rocky Four. It's $4.99. It's written by Mark Miller with art by Dyke Ruan. Yeah. Here's your solicit. They did it again. Yep. Miniseries premiere. <laughs> Brand <favorite>. new arc. <laughs> they, they did double duty on this one. The Magic Order is in turmoil after Cordelia is forced to expel her brother. Spoilers for the last volume. Whispers of discontent persist among the other wizards. They're tired of the rules they've all been living under. And now a coop is brewing. That's a coup, but I was just being silly. It's a coup. So, uh, you will hear this later in the episode, but I'm all caught up on the magic order, and let me tell you, spoiler alert, it rules. It's freaking great. It's great. uh, I'm I'm caught up just in time for the next volume, which is kind of where all of the things Miller has been hinting at and building towards in the previous three volumes comes to a head, and it also uh, supposedly helps lead into this big crossover thing that he's doing with that laundry list of creators. So yeah, it's going to be huge. Very excited for more magic order. Get on board people. My pick for next week is teenage mutant Ninja turtles. Last Ronin colon lost years. Number one. It's from IDW. It's four 99 is written by Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz with art by Ben Bishop. Here's your solicit in the smash hit miniseries TMNT, The Last Ronin. Readers witness the final gut-wrenching days of the heroes in a half shell 
or at least one of them. For Michelangelo in particular, the march to his heartbreaking last battle was long and dangerous, taking him from New York City to Japan, across Asia and Europe, and then back home again to administer final justice against those guilty of killing his family. But what happened during those fateful years when he had only the need for vengeance and Master Splinter's journal to guide him? What battles did he fight? What hard lessons did he learn? The time has come to find out as original miniseries writers Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz join artist Ben Bishop to reveal what adventures the last Ronin experienced during his vengeful journey. You just mentioned that. While in the present, a new master, Casey Mary Jones, prepares her young Terrapin students to be the next generation of Teenage Ninja Turtles. Now, I did notice no Laird on this one. He was on the last one. It was kind of like they rejoined and we were all happy and whatever. Well, that one. was a special thing. The original yeah. Last Ronin was kind of like them coming together for the first time right. in 30 years. This is the prequel so. to The Last Ronin. Like it I don't believe Peter Laird has anything to do with comics anymore in general. Not really. No, he just sits back. He just sits around and bees rich. Flex his checks out. Like they said, it's a prequel to The Last Ronin. The Last Ronin series was wonderful. It was one of my best miniseries of last year. Almost won my Beppo for it. It was very close. I'm excited for more of this. I really like Ben Bishop. and. Man, IDW's just been doing such a great job with TMNT. The only problem is there's a lot of it. That's the biggest thing it has going against it. That's the only, that is like the main barrier yeah. of entry for me to get into that and Transformers is that there is so much of it. So you got to look, well, you don't have to worry about Transformers anymore because it's gone. No, but, <laughs> but it's, it's still like worth reading. The tra- so the, at, at least with TMNT, it was an ongoing series. The TMNT stuff, look for names, look for Eastman's name, look for Waltz's name, right? Because they're the ones that are kind of guiding the main series there and it's really really good well stuff. and there was a long-running ongoing series that ran 100 plus issues yeah and tom waltz's name is all over it so yeah go check it out it's fantastic the thn trade of the week for january 25th is the invincible compendium volume one it is a hardcover from image comics it's 99.99 but you'll you'll find out why in just a second it's written by robert kirkman with art by ryan otley and Corey walker and here's your solicit To celebrate Invincible's landmark 20th anniversary, the first 48 issues of the greatest superhero comic in the universe are being collected into one massive hardcover edition, exclusive to the direct market. That means comic stores, baby. Yeah, it's awesome. Mark Grayson is just like most everyone else his age, except for the fact that his father is Omni-Man, the most powerful superhero on the planet. When Mark develops powers of his own, it's a dream come true, but Living up to his father's legacy is only the beginning of Mark's problems. No further spoilers will be given. <laughs> this collects Invincible 0 through 47. Let me tell you a little something about Invincible. It's amazing. We've talked it about it yeah, at length on the show. I'll, the reason I picked this one, this is for shelf pornographers. This is for guys like me who love Gross. having those big omnibus sexy editions all stacked up next to each other with a complete series because this is going to look so damn good on your shelf it's beautiful i already pre-ordered mine i'm super excited nerds like me that buy comic books six seven times in different formats that keep this business alive they did do a smaller version where it was like the first yeah 
I've got those two. It was like the first four trades. Getting rid of and mine. the next four trades. Getting rid of them for these. <laughs> so yeah. this will be the second time I've bought Invincible hardcovers. But that tells you how good it is. This is one but of those the- those were also softcover. They were like the Bone One volume editions, yeah. which I love. They did two versions, yeah. This is one of the best superhero stories ever written. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I think it's safe to say Robert Kirkman's Invincible is one of the best superhero series ever written. It does kind of reach a point where you could be like, oh, well, that's the logical conclusion. But it also but then it just keeps going. Yeah, he does keep coming up with new ideas. And I'm not saying it gets bad. I'm just saying like there is a point. It's like Fables, right? Fables is wonderful. It's one of my favorite series ever. Fables number 50, like that would have been a great place to end that series because then the story was over. The main story was over that. There's a point like that in Invincible where it's just like, well, oh, he the whole point of the comic is resolved well now there's a new point but if you've never read it invincible highest recommendation yeah thumbs up all the way now that you've heard our picks we want to know what you nerds are reading hit us up on our discord and the new comics channel and hey for a change why don't you tell us what to read we're missing a bunch of stuff i know we are Before we get out of here, it's time for a sneak peek of this week's THN Extra. When you support THN on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to all kinds of extra content just like this. Not too long ago, we introduced you to the Cosmic Long Boxes little sibling the cosmic short box it also fell to earth it just took a longer time it was like a supergirl thing they both left the same planet it's a, it's a cousin it's it's a superman supergirl situation a problematic cousin you know that <laughs> yeah. you don't talk about too much so, you know it left the planet went straight for earth and this one took a detour and came way around and then bam slammed to the earth much later yeah but right very near the cosmic short box as you may or may not know also forces us to read and discuss comics just like everything on this show but here here is the catch. We use the Cosmic Short Box to catch up on series, perhaps, that we talked about and haven't revisited. Or maybe a short mini-series, right? It's a little short shot of stuff that we're reading that we have not had a chance to talk about on the show. And that's what we are going to do today. We've each picked a title that we're going to catch up on. Joe Patrick, what have you been reading recently? Uh, so my choice for the Cosmic Short Box uh, for this installment is the Magic Order series. Uh, we are three volumes deep so far of Mark Miller's oft discussed, but never actually produced Magic Order, the inspiration for the Netflix show that never was. They and are still billing it that way, though. Like, even with the fourth one, they're, they're they are, still I believe, talking about I believe, it. yeah. So the Magic Order is essentially... J, uh, JD got a catch described it as the Sopranos, but with magic. I, I think it's more likely... NYPD blue, but with magic because the magic order are protectors, not gangsters. They protect the world from magical threats that you and I just don't see like in our day-to-day lives. Their, their job is to keep magic hidden away from humanity. And that means fighting warlocks and giants and demons and all sorts of things. So volume one came out in collected form in uh, 2019, April 17th, 2019. Here's your solicit. It's by Mark Miller with art by Olivier Coipel. We live in a world where we've never seen a monster and the magic order is the reason we sleep safely in our beds. 
magic meets the mob. I mean, they do describe it as magic meets the mob, I guess, but they're not mobsters. As five families of magicians sworn to protect our world for generations must battle an enemy who's picking them off one by one. By day, they live among us as our neighbors, friends, and co-workers, but by night, they are the sorcerers, magicians, and wizards that protect us from the forces of darkness, unless the darkness gets them first. I mean, they're not the mob, but they're also not cops. You know, they're... they're but they're a family, and yeah, I guess yeah. it is kind of like a... Uh, it is sort of like different mafia families, Very right? much it, so, it, yeah. Magic Order Volume 1 was about the American branch, and they kind of run the show internationally. Uh, volume 2 was sort of this, like, Guy Ritchie-esque European turf war kind of thing. Uh, that introduced us to like the London magic order and a bunch of warlocks that were fed up with their oppressive rule or, and the third volume, which just concluded introduced us to the um, Asian contingent of the magic order complete with like this crazy rich Asian style, like opulent uh, wizards like living uh, with like flying yachts and and living in magnificent towers uh, up in the sky and all this stuff and it's been a really wonderful bit of world building on miller's part you know each area we visit has a completely distinct and different feel and so volume one olivier Coipel, volume two drawn by the great Stuart Immonen, and volume three drawn by luigi aka Gigi. Cavanago or Cavanaggio, uh, he Italian. All three volumes are just absolutely gorgeous. And something that I really love, and uh, JD brought this up on uh, cover to cover last week, is that it's so much more than just a bunch of dudes holding out their wands and shooting beams at each other. You know, they're not blasters, yeah. they're not firing lasers. There's some of that. But the magic that they use is so inventive, like um, the Magic Order's American headquarters is inside a painting, is a castle inside a painting inside the Chicago Institute of Art or a museum in Chicago. And every once in a while, they show people looking at the painting and they're like, I could have sworn I saw a light on in there. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> That is it for THN 693. Next week, we're talking back issue comics based on a theme when the Cosmic Longbox returns. And this time, we're going to play This Is Your Life, Mr. Sinister, just in time for the Sins of the Sinister X event to hit shelves. Also, don't forget to tune in Cover to Cover this weekend. Hit us up on our live call-in show. Just like I mentioned, it's called Cover to Cover. It happens on Saturdays at 1030 Central. You can check out our Discord for details. And on that show, one of the things that we give you to talk about, we don't just talk about the news and comics and all this other stuff. We set up a question of the week just for you. Uh, and in the shocking turn of events, it is thematically linked to next week's Cosmic Long. It's true. <laughs> this week's question came from uh, Matt and me, us. In honor of Mr. Sinister's upcoming overhaul of the Marvel Universe, what is your favorite example of a story where reality as the characters know it was rewritten and replaced with a brand new world? Now, I'm stopping you here. I don't mean a what if. We don't mean a what if. We don't mean an alternate reality. We mean, hey, I woke up today and all of a sudden 
Gwen Stacy was alive, right. and so was Uncle Ben, and I I sold my web shooters to the cops or whatever. You know, your houses of them, etc. Exactly. Please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. We thrive on them. And if you can't make it to Covered Cover Live, shoot an MP3 to 2 at a nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline. That number is 402-819-4894. If you send an MP3 or leave a message, keep it to two minutes or less, we ask. And hey, you know what? We stopped mentioning it on the show. 2 at a nerd.com has all sorts of extra content for you. And we would love it if you would go to wherever your podcasts come from and leave us a written review that'd that be, rad. be radical yeah. or just give us some stars that's cool too stars are great yeah if they give you an option to leave a written review and you feel like doing it we would love it yeah. even if it's bad i mean i get it if you're new to the show and you would rather bane breaks your back than write us a review i assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough the good Two news is references in one good go. job bang the good news is you can hear the entire run of thn in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com it's also where you're going to find the show notes. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our longtime patron and Discord all-star, Mike Lee. Who is he on Discord? He's the one fist. Oh, the one fist. Yeah, on Discord. Great. Mike, we've been selling, we used to sell Mike Lee his comics when he was just a fresh-faced young oh, lad. Oh, Mike Lee. It's that Mike Lee. Long, long, long ago. Uh, he I used to bring, love that guy. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe he still cavorts with nerds like us. That's ridiculous. I thought he would have known by now. You'd think he would have known better by now. If you like what you hear every week, just like Mike Lee does, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. You may have heard us just talking about that. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Jason Pearson. Pearson passed away from a heart attack in December at age 52, but the comics community is just learning about his passing this week. Pearson was a highly stylized penciler that worked on cult favorite books like his creator-owned body bags at Dark Horse. He also worked on DC's Legion of Superheroes and Batman, Marvel's Namor, Images Spawn, Savage Dragon, and Witchblade, just to name a few. Rest in power, Jason, and to everyone listening, call your doctor, get your blood pressure checked, please. We love you, and we want you to stick around. Yeah, heart disease is a killer, man. 52 is too young to lose a guy like that. It's terrible. Until next time, true relievers, remember to pre order comics or you might just anger your retailer's blood pressure. This is the Two Headed Nerd, signing off. <laughs>